Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money morphosiscom to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello, everyone. This is Crystal Arnold, your hostess of the Money Wise Women Show and founder of Money Morphosis. I wanted to share an experience I had last week here in uh, Oregon where I live. Um, There is a newly formed uh, Council of uh, Culture of Peace Commission, and uh, they had a half-day kind of retreat experience uh, that we had. And uh, it was a very specific format, which actually follows the Mayan Council model. Um, And so people speak to a question uh, which is brought before the council with a very, very specific format of bringing different perspectives um, to address the question. And so the question which I brought forth, which uh, the whole group of 40 people voted uh, this to be the most important question to address together. Um, So then we went through the process of of hearing different perspectives on this. And, and the question is, is uh, this. What is needed to create a life-affirming economy that engages and values each individual's unique genius? So there, it's, it's so incredible to acknowledge uh, in a group like this, the challenges and dangers of the present um, day extractive um, economy and and really look at ways that we can uh, acknowledge and value each individual's unique genius and and actually how important um, and sacred exchange is and how how the marketplace is a sacred place where we, uh, the needs of one another, and where we actually care for each other. And this is what the economy is meant to be, a place where we manage and steward our shared resources. And um, so I've, I've talked to several people since then who, speak about this very uh, question being addressed in their communities. And and I tell you, it seems like a huge daunting problem when we sit and think about it alone. And yet when we come together and uh, have a place to create meaning and find meaning and, um, and ask the questions uh, right now, I feel like Living in the question is more important than having answers. And so just um, bringing that curiosity to our conversation today. Um, 
so excited uh, to have our guest, Rebecca Slocum, with us. And um, she is an independent consultant working in organizational development and change leadership. And she partners with leaders to create and sustain positive change in their organizations, building resiliency in times of uncertainty and challenge. And she's presented and been published in her field. And uh, what I really enjoyed about uh, speaking with Rebecca um, is just her fresh perspective as a younger millennial um, leader who is affecting change within organizations and and really understanding um, the the power of her own relationship with money and uh, just think you'll really be delighted to hear her perspective today. Um, so uh, welcome, Rebecca. I'd like to start by asking you uh, what you find uh, most satisfying and uh, enjoyable about uh, the work you do. And I guess you could start by sharing a little bit more about what exactly you do. Oh, well, thank you, Crystal. I am uh, so excited to be here. And the, the story you shared was so powerful. And I immediately felt myself wanting to ask you, well, what are the answers to creating a life-affirming economy? So thank you for the invitation to stay in the question instead of trying to grill you right now <laughs> on right. the answers. Um, but let's see. So I guess uh, just a little bit more about what I do. So how I like to describe it is almost being a therapist for businesses and organizations as they go through change. So I come in and I partner with the leaders during uncertainty or turbulence and help them find strategies to engage their people in the emotions of change to move forward instead of what usually happens, which is uh, people can shut down and change or emotions get denied and then trip up new processes or new innovations in the workplace that can really help everyone in the end. And to tie it back to your original opening, part of what I love about the work I do is it's helping leaders who are invested in their organizations create workplaces that are life-affirming and validate the uniqueness of each individual's genius. Because in today's society, we aren't just cogs on a wheel or whatever the expression is, it, it really is about creating a workplace that holds and expands each individual. And I, I find that work so nourishing and so exciting. And um, yeah, it just, it makes my life abundant <laughs> to do that work. Yeah. And the other thing I love about it as an independent consultant is I get a lot of flexibility in my schedule. So I'm just back from a week in Mexico where I woke up every day and watched the sunrise over the ocean. So that also makes mm. me flourish on the inside. <laughs> mm. So good to, uh, to really balance that work and self-care. And, um, you know, I, I love how you focus on um, 
on organizations who are going through um, change and and would love to begin here just by exploring some, let's start with the common challenges that you see um, for, it could be either organizations or individuals who are experiencing change, because obviously we're in a time of great transformation, and uh, I think we we can both identify a lot of uh, struggle that's happening for people. So what what commonalities do you see uh, people struggling with as far as change happening right now? Oh wow, what a what a question. Um, hmm. Well, so I live in Washington D.C. and uh, in our broader political reality, there is a lot of change going on in the city that is both abstract and intangible, and also very concrete and. Uh, tangible. And I think over the past couple months in a lot of my client systems, a common challenge in moving through change is how do I make meaning of something so big and foundational to my business and my life and yet keep showing up day to day and contributing and uh, finishing the project that we've contracted on or moving forward on this three-year strategic initiative we've been doing. And it's this holding of polarities around the day-to-day and the big picture that can be very, very scary. And often I think I see people wanting to resolve or solve that. And you really have to live in the space that holds both. And find a way to, for leaders to meet their employees where they are in terms of the uncertainty of what this political climate will bring um, or how it's going to change the organization's competitiveness and the broader landscape and help them stay motivated in the day-to-day and see that almost all of the organizations I'm working with, their vision and mission extends beyond the life of any administration. And so how do you keep that star shining bright, even if your strategy needs to change in the short term, meaning like the next four years or something like that? So I I would say over the past few months, the last quarter, those are some of the bigger questions I've seen leaders really grappling with and trying to understand how to hold the polarity and be authentic and real with the emotions they're seeing in the workplace. Mm. Yes, yes. I um, that was really well said. Um, very, mm-hmm. oh, very much. Uh, the changes affecting individuals and organizations, and um, you know. Let's explore, like, what are the qualities that create resilience? And um, for listeners, you know, I I like to define resilience as an ability to respond to change intelligently instead of react and to be adaptable and and really go with that transformation. Um, So what, what qualities do you see within, I guess, because you work within organizations, uh, that create resiliency. Ooh, you are. This is a great question. Um, hmm. And I'm I'm in the process of trying to develop a 
short training module on resiliency. So you, you're priming my thinking for this. I would say, well, first of all, I do mindfulness. There's a huge need and place for mindfulness in organizations. And I'd say the ability to breathe is one of the first steps in creating resiliency. And two, there's a simple little model I like to use. It's called the ACT model. And I'm sure there are other uh, framings of it, but it stands for acknowledge, create space, create space and transition. And so in times of turbulence or when something unexpected comes along, first you need to acknowledge what happened, acknowledge the emotions of the event, for example, layoffs. Okay, so what happened? Uh, who was lost? What were the reasons behind it? Yes, it's hard. You need to talk about the fact that it's hard. You can talk about how it uh, undermined trust, but you need to acknowledge the reality of what is. From there, you want to create space. So create space for people to share their emotions and thinking around it. And it's not to answer and try to resolve each individual person's unique experience. It's to create a space where all those experience can, experiences can come out and be discussed and be aired. And from there, transition to what is the new future that's possible. And this is where you can see a lot of language around reframing the, you know, what's the blessing in disguise here? What is the new opportunity this opens for us? And it's really moving through that entire arc, the acknowledge, creating space, and then transitioning that I see helping build resiliency. Because often you'll see folks want to go right away to transition. They want to say, all right, layoffs happened, or okay, this happened. How do we create something new? But if you don't address what is and acknowledge the pain or loss or fear and create space for people to feel that, those emotions, those experiences, those questions will undermine whatever new future you're trying to create and new meaning you're trying to find in an environment that you hadn't envisioned. Oh, I, I love that. That's such a brilliant um, uh, way to frame it. And uh, Okay, so I, I kind of came up with it on my feet, so I'm glad that resonated. <laughs> Well, I've seen it in the individual's life, too, you know, because I work more one-on-one -on -one with people in, in groups about their personal transformation. And uh, so often they want to skip over the, the painful beliefs, behaviors, and attitudes, also known yeah. as the shadow of the psyche, which um, just then gets reformulated into some something that seems new but still has those um, lingering dynamics. So I think it's so wise Absolutely. to to take that time to reflect and, and be able to honestly assess our situation and then move from there. Hmm. Let's see where where to go. Um what yeah, what else um do, anything else on resilience that you want to speak to and bring forth? Hmm. Um, yeah, really, I, 
and this may be, I have a heavy background in emotional intelligence and I've done a lot of uh, research and been certified in some different EI assessments. Um, but really, I think it's, it just comes back to being present and mindful of the emotions of any situation, whether that is a political landscape or a personal situation or um, something that happened in an organization. And, and once again, that's, that's why uh, it can be helpful for organizations to have someone come in who's external. And this is just one other thing I think of is often leaders, when you're leading an organization that does create a certain power distance and for employees to be able to be real with their emotions, sometimes having a consultant come in and hold a safe space that's neutral can be really helpful. So just to talk about resiliency, that's why I'm a strong believer in personal coaches and therapists. And I have a couple women's circles I belong to where we can just be real with one another and uh, have a safe space. Mm. Awesome. I love what you bring as a young feminine leader. Um, (laughs) Could you share, like, uh, it, it may feel um, strange to toot your own horn, but I would like to hear you've been quite successful, and maybe you can share, like, your age and a little bit of the journey um, that uh, that brought you to this place, and in particular, what qualities of uh, feminine leadership you feel have, have made you successful? Oh, wow. Um, Well, let me start with the easy part of that question, which is my age. So I'm just now 30. uh, Very excited to enter this decade of my life. Um, Qualities of feminine leadership. So what it means to be a feminine leader and to be a, a woman and to be a leader in my field is something I am still discovering every day. And so in ab- so I guess that's first to forgive, forgive me for my beginners conceptualizing of that concept. Um, but for me, a lot of what it means to be a feminine, a feminine leader in my business is to listen to my intuition and to use, to harness that part of my, my being instead of just my rational mind. And so I can think of times when that I think have helped get me to where I am today have been the times where I have acted from a place of intuition and done things that seemed completely irrational from an outside perspective. And uh, so I can think of the first example is when I decided I wanted to be an independent consultant. I had an extremely successful career in international relations, and I was doing international diplomacy, traveling all over the world, uh, facilitating bilateral and multilateral conversations. And I was very much poised on an already high-earning, high-value career track. And on an intuitive level, I knew something was missing, and I wasn't happy. And 
you know, things like that can take a while to really bubble to the surface, but it was like, it was kind of like a hangnail where, you know, every now and again, you brush your hand on something and you're like, oh, ow, that hurts, but it's not that big of a deal. And I just, I had that baseline intuitive knowledge that I wasn't quite on my path. And it just, it started to get stronger. And then I was doing a a short-term consulting gig in South Africa and I was in Johannesburg and something about being in a different environment that was so different. I had traveled predominantly in the Western hemisphere, but something about being in South Africa in Johannesburg. And I was talking to some of the leaders uh, from the anti-apartheid movement, um, something about being there. I just knew I couldn't ignore that anymore. And I, the only way for me to exist in the world was to be authentic with who I was. Even if I didn't really know who that, what that meant, it meant listening to the little intuitive bubbles I kept getting about needing something more than what I currently had in terms of my contribution to the world. So I came back to D.C. and gave my three months notice at my at my job and I had nothing else lined up for afterwards and uh, you know Washington DC is extremely expensive high cost of living and I I just but I couldn't not do it like once once you see something you can't unsee it and I had to listen to my intuition and then during those months I hauled ass to get to get myself in a position where I could successfully step out as an independent consultant afterwards. But it was that moment when I made that decision. And I remember sharing with uh, my family or some of my friends that I made that choice and they were extremely concerned about it because it didn't seem to make sense. I, I was on a great track, but I knew that to take personal leadership of my life, I had to listen to my gut and my intuition. And I did. And let's see, last year, I just finished my, um, my accounting from last year. And I, do- I doubled my annual income that I had at that really high paying job that year. And, and so for me, it was just this huge moment that when I first stepped out as an independent businesswoman, I, it, it was an intuitive step. And it has just paid off in more ways than I can count, even though at first it was hard. And um, I really, I have to thank my intuition for that. Mm, that is such an inspiring story. I, I think it so benefits, you know, people to hear that uh, affirmation of what is possible. And congratulations on on bringing the prosperity into your life and Thank and what you. I have also seen of you and, and heard is like uh, your focus on emotional intelligence and communication skills and bringing those relationship-oriented uh, focus into um, the consulting work you do. D- do you feel like that also um, influences your success? Hmm. Um and let me ask, yeah. in particular, um, you know, you could also speak a little bit about, I remember you saying that the, um, just the case where you had to really claim that you wanted to make as much as a male counterpart, oh, there was, that was a yeah. great story. 
as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share that because it was a very big moment uh, for me and my journey with money. Um, So I guess in a broader framing of that, I do think part of uh, feminine leadership or being a, a female leader in my field is recognizing that I'm a leader along with my male peers and I don't exist uh, separate from them, and um, I need to be in exchange with them as well. And so it was there was this new client system I was working with, and I was the only female consultant on the project with two males, and one of whom is my peer and someone I've worked with on other projects before. It's someone who I respect and esteem greatly. I think he's fantastic. I've learned so much from him and we work really well together. And so in the negotiations with the client, we all, of course, had our own separate negotiations. We're all external consultants. And I asked for a specific day rate to the client and they immediately cut me down. Oh, I don't know. It was probably three, $300 off my day rate. They're like, no, we can't do that. What about $300 less from what I had quoted them? So then, you know, negotiations, I quoted them about 150 up from what they had quoted me. And that was where we ended up settling. And I felt pretty good about it. You know, I would have preferred my original rate, but I knew I was working within uh, a band. And so, I don't know, we were maybe one week into the project and I was having a conversation with my male peer. And I really, I really respect him for this because I wouldn't have thought to do it. He said, hey, you know, it's really, it can be really challenging being an independent consultant in our field. I really don't know about rate setting. And I'm never sure like if I'm asking too much or too little. And you and I, we've been on a number of projects right now together. And I'm just wondering if we could talk about our rates and just see if we're within the same ballpark. And I trust him immensely. I respect him immensely. And I was like, absolutely. I would love to do that. That would help me too. And we went through, I don't know, it was about four projects we had been on together at that point. And uh, the first three projects, we were in about the same range. And then we got to the new project that we had both just started on. And he shared his rate with me. And he was making almost $200 an hour more than me, which is significant. And he shared that with me. And I just felt this like, pit in my stomach um, because we were doing the same work and I could see he felt that same pit because he realized that he was making so much more an hour than me for the same work and we kind of had this moment where we looked at each other and you know I'm very much an introverted processor so I kind of had to like stop the conversation and be like okay I think I'm going to go now (laughs) excused myself a little awkwardly from the conversation and I came home and I was thinking about it and you know I was like I can't do this work knowing what I know especially given the fact that he got the rate I originally asked for and so then I went into all the statistics I know about uh, women and money like Was it that he started with a higher asking price or was it that he negotiated harder or X, Y, Z thing or, 
did I give in too much, all, all the different questions and doubting myself. And so I called him back up and I asked him about his negotiation process. And uh, he and I had both quoted the exact same rate and they had immediately agreed to his rate and immediately cut me down $300 an hour. And so mm. I found that out and I was like, all right, I can't do this work unless I feel aligned in it and unless I feel that the value, the unique value and unique genius I am bringing to help this organization is being responded to with respect and equal value. And so I called up the client and I said, you know, I, now that I understand more about the work and the complexity of the work and I see what would be involved for me to deliver the value, which I'm absolutely confident I can do, I need my rate to be adjusted to this number, which is what I originally quoted. And um, <laughs> we had a bit of back and forth and then they told me no. And they said, no, you agreed to the other rate. We aren't going to change it. You signed a contract at that rate. And if you're unwilling to work at that rate, then, you know, peace out. <laughs> and so I said, mm. respectfully, I understand that. And I wish you the best. Please contact me if a higher level position opens up and that was that. And the thing was, that was my, as an independent consultant, that was my income that I had planned for the next few months. That was it. It was a Friday. And I remember I closed my computer after that email exchange. I went in my kitchen. I cried on the floor. This is what I do. Sometimes I sit on my kitchen floor and I cry. So I sat on my kitchen floor. I cried for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then I was like, okay, well, I would rather be in this situation than in an environment where I felt undervalued by myself, but also by um, a rate I got locked into. And I know I'll figure something out. And so that weekend I went and I talked with some of my extremely savvy female entrepreneur friends, got support there, uh, spoke with family, just had fun, did yoga, all the things that make me whole and confident in myself. And Monday rolled around and the client reached back out to me and said, hey, we have a higher level position open up. We would love to get you back on the project. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. And they gave me the rate I asked for. And a week later, I was back in the client system. And that is, it was just a huge moment for me in terms of understanding how important it is for me to always believe in my worth and my value and rate and to always see myself as a female leader in a community with my male peers who, um, who also have a unique experience that helped me develop my own experience. Wow. wow that, that, that is the moment. <laughs> powerful. Awesome. I just commend you for being willing to walk away from that and the courage that it took <laughs> to even number one, have that conversation with the male peer and number two, bring it to the, the company and then be willing to walk away and really, uh, you know, stick to your own values and alignment of what felt right to you. So that is just incredibly inspiring. Um, 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And it's just another moment in terms of feminine leadership of listening to my gut. And rationally, maybe it wouldn't have been the right choice to walk away from a contract I had secured and signed and my income for the next few months. But intuitively, I knew I couldn't do it. And by taking that step and believing in myself, I ended up getting everything I asked for. <laughs> so, so, yeah, wow. feminine leadership. <laughs> Yes. And really like this integrity that's needed in, in the money conversation that is at the heart of a life affirming economy is that transparency, the integrity and that alignment individually and within organizations. And that story just really demonstrated the power of that. Wow. Mm. So um, we're going to take a, a quick break here, and then when we come back, I'd love to hear more of like your uh, your advice for people struggling about speaking about money and negotiating. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you've had so much experience and, and skill with that. If there's some um, tips or advice that you have for people who are struggling to uh, connect and and find the courage to um, really stand up for their own value. Um, We'd love to hear that. So we'll take just a moment here with the um, commercial break and we'll be right. Do you get choked up and flush talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com. So welcome back. We are here with our guest, Rebecca Slocum. And uh, just, I was just so inspired by that story about how she negotiated a fair wage um, and uh, just what what qualities of, of bringing her intuition and really staying in integrity and alignment with what she knew her true value was. And um, so I'm really excited to hear uh, some more from you, Rebecca, advice you have for people uh, struggling around negotiations or discussing money. What do you have to say to them? Mm. Um, well, first, thank you, Crystal. It's funny. I can, uh, taking a moment to pause and reflect on the micro movements in my money story or even the macro movements like negotiating that rate is sometimes something I forget to do. So I just want to thank you for um, creating a space where I can reflect on that because I do think that is part of believing in your worth is taking moments to reflect on moments that challenge you. But um, so the first thing uh, that comes to my mind when you say advice for speaking about money, 
um, is really, for me, I first had to understand my relationship with money and my story about money. And I know that can seem really abstract and meta when you, you know, you're trying to negotiate, negotiate a rate or a new salary and it's right in front of you right now, but really, really you have to peel back the layers and understand what's influencing you. And for me, it was, I, you know, I grew up in a low middle income family. And then after my parents got divorced, uh, it quickly became a much lower income family situation and we were constantly strapped for cash and money became something that, well, one, we never really talked about it as a family, but um, it became something that we saw with a scarcity lens as in, you know, there's never enough of it. And it also became something that was a power tool. Like, um, you know, I remember there were moments where I felt uh, (laughs) I was being manipulated with, you know, you won't get this financial support unless you spend this weekend with here, with this parent or this weekend with this parent or things like that. And so I went out into the world with a money story that was really about scarcity and fear, Um, fear that it would be used as a way to get control over me, and also just a sense that there was a scarcity of it, and I would always be fighting to make ends meet, and I went to college in Boston. I was at Boston University, and that was coming from a small town in Wisconsin. BU was my first time really coming into contact with wealth, like really seeing what that looks like. And I had to understand, in one sense, I am so thankful for that because I saw what a different relationship with money could look like. And I had friends who didn't have the same relationship with money that I did. And all I had ever known was a relationship of fear and scarcity. And so having, it's like watching a TV show of people who have such a different experience than yours and beginning to understand that, Hey, I could have a different experience as well. And I just remember that was the beginning of me becoming more aware of how my socioeconomic class um, influenced the way I thought about how much money I would even ask for in my initial salary. Um, But those lessons were still not quite sharp and crisp. And so after undergrad, my first job I got, I was, you know, I was getting paid pennies. It was like, I thought it was an okay salary, but it was, I was barely scraping by. I remember I would buy water to put on my cereal because I felt like milk was too expensive. And um, a couple times I had to have a friend help me out with money. And it was just, I was living into this kind of scarcity mindset that I had grown up with around money. And this is when I got a, an incredible offer from with, for a job in Washington, D.C. that was offering me a salary I had never even dreamed of having. And 
I didn't know what to do with it besides accept it. And I did the first thing I would now advise people to never do is they quoted me like, well, here's what we'll give you. And I said, yes, I didn't negotiate at all. I was like, I can't believe I'm being even being offered this. Like, is it bad for me to accept this? And all those things around self-worth and uh, things like that. And so I said yes right away to the first thing they offered me, um, moved to D.C. And then I suddenly found myself in a position where I had to renegotiate my relationship with money because I was suddenly making more than anyone else in my family. And that created this dissonance within myself around what do I do with this much money and how much do I send home every month and um, how does it make me feel if all of a sudden I'm the one in my family people are coming to for financial support. And I started to get a lot of resentment and this was when my narrative around money as a tool of control and power really started to come up and and I was like, "How, how do I interact with supporting people I love, but also having that come from a place of abundance and not from a place of I feel like I have to do this because now I suddenly have money to spare. And it took me, I don't know, maybe three years to really work through that narrative and a lot of resentment around sending money home, which, you know, I I took that responsibility on myself. Um, It wasn't something anyone was deliberately asking me to do repeatedly, but um, the choosing to believe that I deserved the salary I was getting paid and also I deserved to have an abundant and open relationship with money was part of around the transformation that led me to become independent because I finally believed in myself enough to know that I could command uh, a rate I wanted on the market that would support me. And I didn't, it wasn't this oddball, crazy offer that gave me worth. It was me. Like I I was the one who could ask for what I wanted and what I deserved in a rate. And so I left the high paying job and started as an independent consultant. And those conversations, it is, it can be so extremely hard to negotiate. And um, one of my rules of thumb right now is if a client ever agrees right away to the price I quote them, it means I didn't quote high enough because negotiation isn't a bad thing. It is a great thing. And it is when you come together with a client to determine what is the, the value and exchange this work is worth. And you have to believe in yourself. And for me, the only way I could believe in myself was to understand how I saw money and what that meant, I, my beliefs about money, how they were being limited. And um, you have to be willing to stand your ground and walk away. I have walked away from more projects than I can count because they couldn't meet my rate. But I was uncompromising in that. Like I knew my floor And if a client couldn't meet it, I said no, because sometimes you have to say no. And always, shortly thereafter, whether a couple weeks or a couple months, a client who could meet my rate would come along or a client who could meet my rate and then some would come along. And I wouldn't have had space for that client if I had compromised on my beliefs about what my work was worth. 
So um, I think that is perhaps a long-winded way to say, first, know your personal relationship with money and where that narrative comes from, and then step into what you want your new relationship to look like and then hold your ground. Like, don't, you're going to have people who tell you, no, you're asking too much. You will always have people who say that just as you will always have people who will meet you in your rate too. And it's just about finding them. So, um, you know, be, be courageous and, um, and have a savings account <laughs> because that helps too when you're between clients or when you're in the midst of negotiating. You want to have a couple trap doors where you can uh, pull some funds if you need to wait a bit longer for that right opportunity to come along. Hmm. I am so glad you answered that question that way. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's so valuable for people to hear the very vulnerable, authentic story of of your struggles and um, and then where you are now and the transformation that happens. And my curiosity is like, what helped you transform your money story? What support did you get? Or was it more an internal process? Oh wow, that is a that is a great question. Um, I think probably most of it was just an internal process of coming to see myself clearly and coming to see how my beliefs around money were keeping me in a job where I had a steady paycheck, but I was unhappy because I wanted to make sure I had that money coming in. So how could I not be in this steady, high paying job and realizing the extent to which that was holding me back in my life. Um, so that was a really big realization, but I, this, I have this incredible community of uh, female entrepreneurs I'm connected with, and they were amazing. When I was making the decision to go independent, um, when I needed partners to think about hard money conversations with, um, I would go to them. And I highly, highly recommend having a community of uh, inspiring, empowered women or people. It doesn't just have to be women with whom you feel safe to have those conversations about money, which is why the work you're doing, Crystal, is so incredible. Um, because if you don't talk about it, you can't benchmark yourself. Just like that conversation I had with my male colleague, if he and I hadn't had that conversation, I would probably still be with that client, but making way less. And after I had that conversation with him, I raised my rates across the board and um, got new clients at a rate that I didn't realize I should have been charging probably months ago. So I, having safe spaces with people where you can talk about that is so important. And I just, I highly recommend that. And that's why I, I'm just excited to be on the show and be a part of the work you're doing too. Hmm. Totally. It's, it's amazing how, um, because money is so taboo in our culture, it keeps the power structures in place. It's like that fear and guilt that it's also secretive. So no one's going to tell what they make. And so the corporation can keep, you know, the wages low, for example. And I think that really 
the courage it takes to be able to um, have those skills to talk about it, to get vulnerable, to be authentic is, is why this is so crucial in our day and age to actually be able to, um, yeah, claim, claim our value. Hmm. Absolutely. I'm, I'm curious too, you know, as, as a younger leader and, and millennial, um, what, what challenges and opportunities do our generation face as, you know, it's not really business as usual. Everyone feels that um, there is kind of this manufactured story of success. Um, that's largely based on financial success that, that the baby boomers expect that you can go to college and then, you know, get the good nine to five job and own a house. And that's just out of, out of reach for many of our generation who have a lot of college debt and, um, and yet so many incredible gifts and insights and uh, brilliance to bring forth. And I see people our age struggling like I don't fit into a box and and how can I you know affect the change that I know needs to happen um, given given the dysfunction of the economy and the modern day um, system Mm -hmm. so what would you like to say about that oh wow um so and I am very aware that my answer is going to be biased by my experience as an independent consultant. Um, But part of what I see in that, and this is going to go back to the theme you opened our conversation with, um, I think part of the challenge for each of us is to become even more clear on what our individual unique genius is. And it, the more clear you get on that, I mean, I, I think the days of people getting a job when they are in their mid-20s and staying there until retirement are pretty much over um, in terms of one organization. Maybe you stay in that same career path your, or same professional field your whole life, but I just think back to some of the boomers I know where that was more of their experience. Um, And I I think those days are over. And I think the economy is becoming more and more receptive to individuals marketing their unique skills as something they can contribute on a shorter-term basis. So if I know what makes me passionate and what I can contribute is this kind of a therapeutic support to organizations going through change and this emotional intelligent, emotionally intelligent leadership um, support. If that's something I can contribute, I can plug into organizations who need it at a short term and then go to a different organization. And I think it's becoming more and more of the economy of the individual unique genius um, and that a, a challenge for all of us is to really get clear on what is that for me? What is the unique skill set I bring and I can bring to the marketplace and um, how, do, how do I contribute that? And so that's, that's part of my answer to the question. And then the other part is really about 
each of us getting to define what a financially successful life looks for us. There is um, a boomer, I guess that's what I'm calling him now, uh, that I work with. And, you know, he's very wise, has tons of, he has decades of experience on me. I really respect him. And he and I have had a couple philosophical conversations uh, because we're on this one project together where he just, he works more than I do. And I don't understand why he works as much as he works because I just, you know, I would rather go to yoga or I would rather go spend time with my friends or I would rather watch Netflix. Whereas he can't understand some of the times where I choose not to work because his idea of success is you're leaving, you know, you're going to make the money. Look, there's some work we could be doing on this project every single day. Um, And if you're not doing every piece of the work that you could possibly be doing, you're leaving money on the table. Whereas I'm saying I'm doing the work that the client needs and I'm not just going to do work for the sake of work. Like what makes my life feel financially successful is being able to not work and go to yoga. So he and I have had a couple really interesting philosophical conversations around that. And I think that's the other opportunity we all get to step into is, what does having a financially successful life look like for you? And what does it look like for me? And can we accept that for every single person, that's going to be a little different? And how do we get to meet each other in that and respect each other's choices and um, create an economy that can hold space for all of that instead of just one path, one career track and one idea of what uh, financial success looks like. Mm. I love how you are defining success on your own terms and (laughs) really looking at a holistic sense of well-being and it's more than just financial wealth. Um, And and this is why also a a big part of my work is redefining wealth And I've created this true wealth template and training for people that says, yes, there's a financial sector, but there's three other aspects uh, which should also be included, even though they're harder to measure. Um, And those are inner wealth, relational wealth, and environmental wealth. And I find that when people are... Right. When people are able to to get that more holistic uh, picture, then the financial piece is actually easier to address because it's totally um, in, intimidating when people, um, you know, form their whole identity around their bank account. <laughs> it's really um, kind of destructive. And so to oh, give a bigger sense of wealth as actually being well-being. Um, any yeah, thoughts on that? Yes, exactly. I was like, oh, I have one thought I want to share on that. And that is, um, so something I always have, I've always had a savings account. And I think that's important to have just as having investments is also important to have. But one thing that goes to that is part of having a savings account is spending your money and choosing when to spend your savings, because there's a very different energy between saving money and hoarding money. And Um, I remember one time it was another time where I didn't have a client lined up and I wasn't really sure where my income was going to come from next. And the opportunity came my way to go and live abroad for a month in Iceland. And I said, 
Absolutely. And I took money from my savings account and put it towards my plane ticket, my lodging while I was there, and also funding my experience to go and explore the countryside. And, you know, it, it enriched me as a person. It created so much value in my life to have that experience. And that's why my savings exist. So that when unique opportunities come along that enrich my life, I can take them. And so I just, that's what came up to me when you shared that is having a whole life isn't about always having this number in your savings account or something like that. Because money exists for a reason. And one of those reasons is to be used and converted into meaning and value. Um, So that's my plug for spending some of your savings. (laughs) Yes, totally. And and it really um, motivates people in a different way. Even sometimes I suggest different savings accounts for specific purposes because we do have long-term yeah. goals and, uh, you know, reframing it from just being for some terrible accident that happens, <laughs> security <laughs> in that way, but actually that um, – that we are meeting our need for um, so that we can reframe the savings account for actually positive things that we want. And that really gets to reframing what security is and seeing that in our relationships and, and our inner capacity to be mindful, to communicate clearly, to use and know our unique genius and um, things like that. So, Wow, such an inspiring conversation, you know, as we wrap up in the last few minutes here, um, just opening the space for you to share whatever you'd like to here. Hmm. Um, well, just gratitude. I, you know, I really appreciated our conversation today, but also the first time we connected and I find the work you do really inspiring. And I think being in community with women, um, those of you listening, uh, just you and me, Crystal, like any, it's so powerful and um, part of our unique contribution um, is how we can connect with each other. And so I just, I just want to say thank you for this experience and uh, for having me on your show. It's been very much a two-way exchange and uh, has given a lot to me, just the opportunity to talk. Mm. Awesome. I am so happy to know you are out there doing your work in the world and um, with such humility too, you know, um, it's really, um, I I feel like you're just so down to earth and even though you're making (laughs) more money than anyone in your family, you continue to be generous and just um, you know, really uh, connect in quality ways with your friends. And um, you really are demonstrating to me what developing true wealth is. And I can only imagine the wisdom you'll bring as an elder 30 years from now. Um, <laughs> as we go through this time of, you know, the, the living this question to tie it back into the beginning of what is 
needed to create a life-affirming economy is, uh, part of it is conversations like this. It is making these stories visible. It is sharing our struggles and our um, our resilience and how we came through those um, to overcome the, the beliefs and behaviors that were keeping us playing it small and, and keeping us feeling impoverished and dissatisfied and and so I really feel like you are um, a leader in so many ways that you are part of creating the the life affirming economy as we both are because of the way that we um, approach people and our businesses and and really actually you know I, I see that similarity where we have such uh, uh, curiosity about the people we connect with and what is their unique mm-hmm. genius and, and how to bring that value into the world. And so I feel like this is actually, we are creating that life-affirming economy. And uh, oh, I'm so grateful. for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just really... Um, hope everyone listening um, is inspired to take some action in your life to take that space uh, to reflect on what is most valuable and important to you and uh, and what contribution you bring to the world. And even if it never has been valued in, in dollars and, and money before, know that um, we are multifaceted beings with many um, aspects to our wealth and all of them are important and deserve to be acknowledged and um, and that we really do deserve um, I, I love that emphasis on community of support and I too love the women's entrepreneur groups that I'm part of and there is just such a power when we can come together as women and create a more prosperous world together Yes. So thank you for being part of our part of this emergent economy, for being a young uh, leader and uh, for inspiring us here today with your uh, story. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Crystal. And thanks to everyone who uh, listens and um, contributes to the exchange through presence. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so um, thank you, everyone, for, yes, the gift of your time and attention today, and uh, may you be inspired and uh, go forth and uh, share your innate genius with the world. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.